1: Terms and conditions apply.
2: The secret to catching prize-worthy fish...
3: Outkick podcast listeners appreciate you hanging out with us hope your Wednesday is going well we're going to dive into the demise of the AAF and why that actually might be good for the XFL I will attempt to take your calls in the anonymous mailbag and solve all the problems of Outkick Nation and In an hour three Bruce Pearl Auburn men's basketball coach swings by to get us ready for the final four. All that and more, Outkick the Coverage, 6 to 9 a.m. Eastern, live, 3 to 6 a.m. Pacific. Appreciate you guys on the podcast, downloading and enjoying. Here we go with the Wednesday edition of Outkick.
0: Outkick the Coverage with Clay Travis, live every weekday morning from 6 to 9 a.m. Eastern, 3 to 6 a.m. Pacific on Fox Sports Radio. Find your local station for Outkick the Coverage at foxsportsradio.com. Or stream us live every morning on the iHeartRadio app by searching FSR. Now let's get this party started! You're listening to Fox Sports Radio.
3: Live from the Geico Outkick Studios. Appreciate all of you starting off your Wednesday morning with us. Wherever you may be across the country or around the world, this is Outkick the Coverage. And there are a couple of uh, stories I think are interesting to hit as we get rolling here on the Wednesday edition of the show. But I want to give you a roadmap on where we're headed. Uh, we'll talk with John Campbell later in this hour, get some gambling tips for the uh, for the fi- Final Four, what exactly we think is going to happen there. In Hour 2, we'll do the anonymous mailbag. And then in Hour 3, Bruce Pearl, Auburn men's basketball coach, will stop by and break down the Final Four for us and what it's like for Auburn to be there. So that is uh, the roadmap of what exactly we are headed towards. But I want to begin with the AAF shutting down. And uh, that's the, uh, the, the, the Spring Football League that debuted uh, just seven, eight weeks ago. Um, and for those of you out there who hadn't been paying attention to it at all, it will not impact you in any way. For the sports fans of you who had watched some of the games, Uh, You may well have liked the idea of spring football, but it came to an abrupt end. Uh, The players were forced to buy their own plane tickets, theoretically, to fly home after, I believe it's eight weeks. Suddenly, the season is just over. There will be no postseason. There will be no playoffs. Uh, And uh, there's been a lot of talk about how this ends up happening. Um, And I think the, the easy answer is... The AAF never had the financial support to be able to afford a full year or certainly beyond a full year of the league, and they rolled the dice and thought they would be able to find it based on how the season started. And Instead, uh, they ended up with different investors with divergent paths who didn't want to invest more money potentially without a payoff coming. And uh, Some people have taken this as a sign that spring football or minor league football in general – is a losing proposition and no one should touch it. And I certainly understand that argument. But to me, this is a sign based on the number of people who watched these games, often on the NFL network or CBS Sports Network, with little to no promotion. It's a sign there's actually a great deal of interest. And I think this is going to be a tremendous boon for the XFL when the XFL launches next year. And for those of you out there who haven't paid very much attention to the XFL, there are a couple of things that I think are going to be significant benefits to the XFL that the AAF didn't have. So for people out there who are saying, well, the AAF uh, didn't even finish one season, this is a sign that spring football does not work in this country, I would push back against that and say this is a tremendous sign for the XFL. The AAF demonstrated there was and is a demand for minor league football in this country They just didn't have the financial wherewithal to be able to withstand a full season. And I think Vince McMahon, given the amount of money that he has committed, is going to be able to withstand one season, two, three, potentially more. Let me explain why. Uh, First of all, the XFL is going to have a great television deal. Um, They are going to be well distributed based on relationships with ESPN and Fox. There will be games airing on ABC And there will be games airing on the Big Fox Network as well as FS1 and ESPN. So you've got two major media companies that are going to be thoroughly behind the XFL that want it to succeed uh, and that are hoping that uh, it will do well. Second, and I think this is a big deal for the XFL, the XFL will have no age restrictions. And this hasn't been discussed or contemplated very much, at least that I've seen in the media universe That means that the XFL, for instance, could go to Trevor Lawrence after his sophomore year, which he will play this upcoming year, and say, hey, Trevor, instead of you staying on Clemson's campus for another year and being forced to play football for free, we could sign you to a multimillion-dollar deal right now. You go straight into our training camp. You play quarterback, let's say, with Bob Stoops, and he helps get you ready for the NFL – And all you have to do is play one spring football season with us. You're done by summer. You start training for the NFL draft in the summer. And uh, come the spring, you're in perfect shape to be able to go straight into the NFL. You can immediately sign all of the endorsement deals that you want you can immediately get as much money as you would like. You can go around and sign as many autographs as makes sense to you. And some of you may say, well, there's no way that Trevor Lawrence would turn down the opportunity to stay at Clemson when he could wait another year at Clemson and then go pro after playing football for three years. And the answer may be, okay, Trevor Lawrence would make the decision to stay in college football. But would every freshman or sophomore superstar make that decision? Would Johnny Manziel after his Heisman Trophy year when he got in so much trouble for signing autographs and he was worth so much money have made the decision to come back to Texas A&M for another year or potentially could he have gone straight from playing for Texas A&M to playing in the XFL? Remember what the XFL will be able to offer when a regular season ends. In November, in the end of November with the final regular season college football game, the XFL can say, hey, don't play in that bowl game. Instead, come play in our league, college kid. You can come directly from your college football season into training with us for a couple of months before our season starts after the Super Bowl, and then you can play a full season with us. And the yes, granted, that's potentially a grind on the body. But you could go from finishing your freshman or sophomore year to getting paid within a week or two weeks. And I think it has the potential to be a really good challenge to the NFL's age restrictions. Because there are some freshmen and sophomores who are ready to go pro and don't want the responsibility of having to go to class of having to stay eligible while they are on a college campus. Some people are just ready to start their professional careers, and I think the XFL will offer that opportunity. Furthermore, there's a great demand for football in this country that is unserved outside of the NFL season. I have been arguing for a while that the NFL should expand its season footprint and have more bye weeks. Right now, the NFL, if you're a a fan, you well know there is one bye week and in 17 weeks, your NFL team plays 16 games. Well, that's pretty cool. Um, I mean, the NFL season is a sprint. But instead of playing four preseason games that people really don't care about, why not play a couple of preseason games, add in a couple of regular season games, but also add in some bye weeks? I don't understand why the NFL wouldn't want to go legitimately from mid-August until the President's Day weekend, basically almost the beginning of March, and add in a couple of more bye weeks and allow the NFL season to be stretched further than it already is. Lacking that, I think there are a lot of people who would love to be able to watch NFL football right now. You got March Madness for a couple of weeks that really matters. If I were running the XFL, the only change I would make is I would start the season the Saturday after the X uh, the the uh, the March Madness ends, and I would run it for pretty much all of April, all of May, all of June, and into July before training camp starts. Finish right before training camp starts instead of starting right now the week after the NFL ends because I feel like there's some people, myself included, who are fine with having a little bit of a football uh, sort of siesta, take a little bit of a break from football, and then after six, eight weeks, you're definitely ready for it to be back, particularly when March Madness is over. So those are my thoughts in general. I understand there are people out there who believe the XFL is doomed because of the AAF's failure to finish a season, I just fundamentally and categorically reject that idea and believe that the XFL is going to have pretty good success thanks to its partnership with ESPN and Fox and the big money that's coming in from Vince McMahon. And I think the AAF failing is the best thing that could happen for the XFL because it eliminates competition in the Spring Football League, but the AAF was just successful enough to demonstrate that the idea for Spring Football makes a tremendous amount of sense. All right, that uh, those are my thoughts. I'll bring in the crew, see what they think about the decline of the AAF and the XFL. Are they bullish on the future of spring football or not? We'll also dive into the Warriors against the Nuggets. Did the Warriors just show everybody that the NBA postseason is totally worthless and that whenever they need to flip the switch and want to beat somebody – they can do it because they moved to 3-0 and against the Denver Nuggets and never were really challenged in that game. We will discuss that, and we'll get some gambling tips from John Campbell. That's Hour 1. Anonymous Mailbag headed your way in Hour 2. And Bruce Pearl, Auburn men's basketball coach, will join us in Hour 3. That's your roadmap for where we're headed on today's show. Appreciate all of you for spending your morning with us. This is Outkick, the coverage with Clay Travis.
2: TireRack.com slash sports. TireRack.com, the way tire buying should be.
3: Welcome back, Geico Outkick Studios. We're just talking about the AAF versus the uh, good old XFL, uh, trying to come back after a one year uh, high, uh, a one year history in the XFL. The AAF doesn't even make it one full year. Danny G, are you with me that you still believe in potentially the future of the XFL or are you apprehensive and maybe a little bit uncertain based on the way the AAF just ended?
5: I guess I'm 50-50 with it. I can see where there's some problems and I also can see where there's some hope. There's a lot of GMs and uh, scouts around the league that were hoping the AAF could stay in business because I heard one executive say that there's probably five players on each AAF team that could have at least made the practice squad for NFL teams coming up for camp. So with that said, I I think that the XFL has a chance, but there's a few things I noticed as a fan. I watched, I don't know how many AAF games you watched, Clay. I know you watched that first weekend like a lot of people did. After that, I saw a lot of sloppy games that were in the snow and bad weather. So I'm wondering if the XFL can hold more of their games indoors.
3: Yeah, I don't know the answer to that. I mean, obviously, the XFL have announced uh, where all their franchises will be located, and uh, I haven't even uh, I haven't even looked at that. I mean, obviously, I know that they have uh, some warm weather teams in general. Yeah, um, that will help. I think I think a big part of success will be um, obviously the quarterback play, and uh, and Johnny Manziel got knocked out of the AAF uh, league with a concussion. But I would think that there would be a possibility for him to play somewhere in the XFL. Um, I, I don't think Tebow is going to come back. I mean, they should make a run at Tebow. And I said before, Colin Kaepernick is the uh, is the play as well uh, to see whether or not he'd be interested in playing quarterback. Um, I think those are the three guys that would make still sports fans take note. Um, and uh, I think there is a sufficient demand for spring football. If you look at the ratings that were posted by the AAF the first game of the year uh, was on CBS and remember it outrated the NBA but after that it was really difficult to find the games on television and then I think they were going to finish on CBS again if I'm not mistaken when they got to their playoffs Uh, and the challenge was they never got to the playoffs but that's why I think and I'm not breaking news here although it hasn't gotten a lot of attention the Sports Business Journal has reported this that's why I think the XFL being on Fox and ESPN is going to be a big deal because FS1 and ESPN, as well as ABC and the Big Fox Network, carrying these games will be a a, a tremendously positive, you know, kind of situation in general in terms of people being able to figure out exactly where these games are going to go. Uh, Dub, would you watch these games? Um, you think you still optimistic on, on spring football or? Is this another sign that fans don't want any pro football other than the NFL?
6: Yeah, I would watch the game. San Antonio finally had a professional football team for about 52 days. Hashtag remember the commanders. But I mean, I remember just a few weeks into the season, they changed the championship location from Las Vegas to Frisco, Texas, where the Cowboys have their, you know, kind of side stadium, if you will. And I thought that was kind of fishy at first. But, uh, you know, I don't know. If you're an investor in the XFL and you see that this other spring league only lasted 52 days, I mean, it's got to make you a little iffy. And another thing, I mean, what is what would you define as a success for the XFL? Because, I mean, even if they last, you know, three or four seasons, is that really a success in your eyes?
3: Well, Vince McMahon is putting forward all the money. So Vince McMahon, because of the incredible success, particularly of WWE stock of late, has more money than he could ever need, right? This is just a belief in his uh, in his world that he can create this league and that it has a long-lasting impact beyond, you know, 3 or 4 years. If it fails, it just costs him money. And the good advantage of being super rich like Vince McMahon is he can afford to roll the dice and lose a few hundred million dollars and not have it change his overall lifestyle in any way. So I think he would certainly say if it only lasts three or four years, it's a failure. Um, I, I think the, the big positive the XFL has compared to the AAF is the AAF had to go out and take a lot of different money from different investors with divergent interests. And if you have divergent interests in, in and theses on what is going to work as a business, sometimes you can end up fighting amongst yourselves as opposed to all pulling in one direction, So the XFL being 100% owned by Vince McMahon, he owns every single team, I believe, is the way this league is structured. There aren't even other franchise owners right now. Now, at some point, if the league is successful, I would imagine that Vince McMahon might decide to sell off additional franchises. Uh, But that isn't a concern right now. But yeah, I think, look... From his perspective, I think he's thinking that he's creating a league that will exist for years and years. I think the big difference are people out there who are saying, why is this year's version of the XFL different than the one that failed 15, 18, 20 years ago? The answer is that league, Vince McMahon came out very brash and said, I'm trying to compete with the NFL. This league, he's not making those claims at all. He's trying to create a existing minor league structure for the NFL uh, and just prove that there's a demand for professional football over and above the the product that the NFL puts on the field. The challenge, I think, for the XFL in general is that the NFL has done a very good job of making its sport a year round business. In other words, we can come on here and talk in February and March about what's going to happen with Antonio Brown or. Uh, now we got a new new drama in the NFL. Is Russell Wilson's contract deadline of April fifteenth going to be met, or is potentially Russell Wilson sending some signs that he might not be that happy in Seattle? Right, you can come on and talk about a large variety of NFL related stories. They've done a great job of making their sport a year round uh, a year round interest. Having said that, I tend to think there's going to be quite a bit of interest in general. What about you, Roberto? Are you bullish or bearish on the future of the XFL?
5: Yeah, considering what happened to the with the first end of the XFL and then now with the AF, I
3: I give it maybe two years max. Yeah, there's a lot of people who are going to say that. Eddie Garcia, what do you think? No, I'm I I'm not very optimistic on this succeeding. Um, you know, I don't think it's enough to just say you love football and we've got football, so you need to watch it. They they need to be able to have players that we're interested in seeing play. And are they going to pay money to pull players away from the NFL to play in their in their league? I just don't see that happening. And if if you don't have interesting players, known players that we want to watch, uh, I'm not I'm not interested in watching it just because it's football. One storyline that I think they could really lean into that would get a lot of attention is the idea of paying college players to come play for them who are not eligible to play in the NFL yet. I think that could turn into a pretty big storyline if they aggressively pursue those college players and say, hey, are you tired of, uh, of going to class? Are you tired of not being paid to play college football? Why don't you come join us? Particularly if they have some young superstars Uh, who are uh, in college football that have great freshman or sophomore years and might be responsive to that idea of going ahead and starting to cash in on their talent as opposed to playing college football for free and having to wait for the NFL's age restriction limit to run out. And uh, in addition to the uh, intriguing storyline going on there with the AAF, I think this is a uh, a storyline that a lot of us have been following, kind of uh, kind of apprehensively. And the question has been: Is there going to be an actual interest at all in the postseason of the NBA, or are the Warriors just that much better, and they're playing out the thread of the season with almost no interest whatsoever in the regular season? And Look, I think there's been a little bit of evidence that maybe they're going to have issues, that maybe you should be concerned about how things are going, but I would say that the games against the Nuggets have been pretty strong evidence that the Warriors can flip a switch and dominate whenever they need to do so. And so uh, the Nuggets are interesting because they've kind of been there chirping right on the edge, chasing the Golden State Warriors. For the number one overall seed, and we know the Warriors didn't have the number one overall seed last year. They were the two seed, went seven games against uh, the, the Houston Rockets, found a way to get a win in that series. But it seems like the Golden State Warriors do care a little bit about being the number one seed this year because every time the Nuggets get close, they go up against the Golden State Warriors, and it's like they're trying to prove that they're still a uh, that they're every bit as good as the Warriors. And through, what are we at now, 77 games now, the Warriors just seem like they can flip a switch and dominate whenever they need to. And they did last night against uh, the Denver Nuggets, winning going away by 14 or 16 points. They were up 16 at the half. It was never a, uh, a really a question about who was going to win. They're now up two with uh, only five to go. And effectively, this series, uh, this this playoff race seems over in the West because the Lakers are coming to town on Thursday. You figure the Golden State Warriors can can go ahead and cash a win there. Then the Cavs come to town on Friday. Uh, and uh, assuming the Warriors win both those games, they almost have locked it up because they'd only need to win one of their final three in order to have the number one overall seed in the West. So I'm curious with uh, with the crew, uh, is this all a foregone conclusion when you see the Warriors come out and basically flip a switch and dominate against the Nuggets, who they're now 3-0 and against, all of which have been double-digit wins? Is there any reason to believe that the NBA playoffs are anything other than a foregone conclusion, Danny G? You got the Warriors or the field right now?
5: The Warriors. I still feel like it's a wrap until – The offseason, if New York is lucky enough to get Kevin Durant away from the Warriors, I think that would shake everything up in the NBA. But other than that happening, it's still going to be the Warriors.
3: Warriors or the field, uh, Dub?
6: It's Warriors. I mean, and you look at their only real threat in the West is Houston. And James Harden has literally been doing everything for that team by himself. And every year we get to the playoffs late in the run. And what happens? James Harden gets tired. They run out of gas. And they're going to lose to the Warriors. It's going to be the same thing this year again.
3: Yeah, and uh, in theory, they could have an interesting uh, semifinal round, I guess, in the Western Conference where you would have the uh, the Nuggets going up against the uh, – right now, I think it's the Rockets. They're set up to play right as the three seed. Uh, but as you look at the standings in general, I, I look, the Warriors right now are set up so they would be playing the Oklahoma City Thunder. Russell Wilson went for 20-20-20. That would be uh, an intriguing game, and maybe it's going to end up being the San Antonio Spurs again before all is said and done. Uh, We'll see. Those are the two teams that seem to be in the mix uh, to potentially get beaten by the Warriors in the first round. Uh, But, uh, and so, I mean, you could have Russell Westbrook going up against uh, Kevin Durant, a little bit of a storyline there, or the Spurs, who are never quite good enough to be able to handle Golden State. Maybe they get one win there. And then you've got Portland now that has the injury uh, situation. It's hard to believe that Portland would be in a great spot there. Maybe the Utah Jazz beat the the Portland Trailblazers in the first round. There's just not a lot of suspense until you would get to the Western Conference Finals. And then maybe, maybe if Houston uh, Rockets are there, they could give a little bit of a run against the Golden State Warriors. Uh, but uh, in general, I think this, this thing is pretty much done. And... Uh, And it's unfortunate. I mean, there could be a lot of drama coming out of the Eastern Conference as to who's going to be able to advance. Is it going to be the Bucs? Is it going to be the Raptors, Uh, the Sixers, the Celtics? uh, Even the Pacers are playing pretty well down the stretch without Oladipo. But it still feels like this is the Golden State Warriors League and that there isn't that much interest in the NBA playoffs, which are a little bit over a week away, right? I think they, they start, if I'm not mistaken on saturday april 13th and uh and yet there doesn't seem to be very much drama is anybody willing to take the field every nba team out there the other 15 playoff teams or the warriors eddie are you willing to take the field or are you also warriors i'm, I'm also warriors uh too much talent they know how to turn it on in the right time sorry i wish i could be more interesting but no i'll take golden state this is also maybe a reason why the XFL could have some success because I, I if there's zero, look, maybe Durant's going to leave. Maybe the Warriors are finally going to get broken up. But if you're Kevin Durant and you've won three titles in uh, three straight years, right, it would be three titles in three straight years, Steph and company would have four titles in five years, the only loss being that game seven to the Cleveland Cavaliers. Why would you break up this uh, this dynasty? And I know Demarcus Cousins, I think, only signed a one year deal, so he could potentially leave. And he seems like he's coming off his injury. He was the most, he was the best player statistically on the floor for the Warriors last night in that uh, beatdown of the Nuggets. But this is, uh, I, I think, the big flaw that exists out there in the NBA right now is, in addition to the fact that guys are taking games off for load management and not particularly trying their hardest down the stretch in the NBA season. It's also uh, that there, frankly, just isn't a lot of reason to be paying attention even to the postseason. You want to make it a clean sweep, Roberto, and take uh, the Warriors versus the field?
2: Yeah, the Warriors, it's not even close. The Rockets, they ain't, they ain't going to beat the
3: Warriors so zero drama at all according to the entire crew we'll try and bring in some drama for you uh with my guy John Campbell joining us from Odd Shark up next to help break down uh the NBA maybe a little bit well we'll see whether or not he takes the Warriors versus the field but more importantly the final four starts on Saturday who's he got in the Auburn UVA game and also who is he uh, taking in Michigan State against Texas Tech. We will discuss that as well as maybe a little bit of an early preview for the Masters, which begins next week uh, down in Augusta, and I know a lot of people are excited for that to be officially underway. We will discuss all that more. I am Clay Travis. This is Outkick the Coverage. Up next, gambling picks, Final Four analysis, NBA, and Masters talk. It's John Campbell on Fox Sports Radio. Welcome back, Geico Outkick Studios. No limitations apply when it comes to getting gambling advice from our guy, John Campbell, at Johnny Oddshark on Twitter. And we start with the final four, which will tip off on Saturday evening. Got Auburn going up against Virginia and Texas Tech taking on Michigan State. Where's the value at in these markets so far as you can tell? Let's start with the Virginia-Auburn game. I believe Virginia around a five-and-a-half-point favorite in this game. Uh, any value that you see in betting this one?
7: Um, yeah, I, I I like Auburn in this one, and, and this line's pretty good. This line hasn't moved since it opened. It, it opened at five-and-a-half. It's now still at five-and-a-half. I like Auburn in this one. It's a, it, that makes it almost a two possession game here and I just think the way Virginia plays, they they want to play a defensive low scoring game and all Auburn does is just keep chucking up shots until until they go in and and that's been working really well. They they lead the nation in three point attempts this year, second in three point percentage. And they just kept making them until they won. They've been a giant killer so far. I think a lot of people are going to look at Virginia and see that they're one of the best bets in the nation this year. They're 25-11 and against the spread. And I do think a lot of money will come in on Virginia. But Auburn's the hottest team right now. They've won 12 games in a row. They've covered eight of those. And they didn't shoot well versus Kentucky, but they still got through. And I love that about them right now.
3: What about Chuma Okiki in general? What, and obviously he's the Auburn basketball player with eight minutes left in the game against UNC who tore his ACL. And I should mention that, again, Bruce Pearl is going to join us live in hour three Auburn men's basketball coach to talk about uh, his team and their run to the Final Four. What kind of impact does he have on the overall spread? Because he, his injury has gotten a lot of attention. Is he a multi-point guy? Like what? How, how do you assess Auburn with him versus without him?
7: Well, for me, he is. He's worth probably two, two and a half points, but I'm not sure that he's being factored in very much here into this line. I think this is right around where Auburn would be if, if he were playing. But huge impact player. Uh, they're leading rebounder as well, and, and that's going to be big against a team like Virginia, especially with the number of shots they throw up. But I think just I, I, if, if they can make threes, they can overcome all that, and that's what Auburn tries to do.
3: What's wild about this game and uh, and certainly the two teams that are playing is you can change one play and Virginia doesn't make the Final Four, right? And uh, much to the chagrin of Purdue fans, the play I would change is five seconds left uh, if, uh, if Virginia doesn't make that final shot to put it into overtime. For Auburn, and I'll ask Bruce Pearl about this in Hour 3 of the show, but you can go all the way back to the opening game against Utah State. There was a wide-open three-point shot that Auburn gave up as the final play of the game uh, that would have cost them that game as well. How fine is the line when it comes to gambling on the NCAA tournament? Like, Is it more luck or skill in your mind that these teams ended up in the Final Four?
7: I I think that luck definitely plays a part of it. And that's the beauty of March Madness. I, I, I tweeted out when Gonzaga had that terrible foul because you could say Texas Tech got in with a little luck as well. Gonzaga handed them the game with that stupid technical foul reaching in on the baseline at the end of the game. You could say, and, and I tweeted out, this is the beauty and the horror of betting on college basketball, and you just have to appreciate that there are going to be really dumb, silly things that happen that you probably won't see in the NBA. I love it. I think that's the beauty of it. These guys are still kids, really, and, and there are mistakes, and, and a lot of great shots I, I made as well, the send games, the overtime, and crazy things like that. So you just have to embrace it, and, and you can't get too upset when bets don't go your way, because just wait another game and, and let's see what happens.
3: All right, let's go to the other side of the bracket you've got Michigan State coming off their big win over Duke you can certainly change one play for Michigan State they wouldn't be there Texas Tech you just mentioned the reach across uh, during the inbounds play that was a technical foul that effectively ended the game uh, for Gonzaga how do you break down Texas Tech against Michigan State what do you see here I I think this is going to be a great game here I like
7: Michigan State this this numbers two and a half here I I think they're going to cover but it will be a close one Michigan State's the number one rebounding team, uh, margin team in college hoops, and they're the number two bet overall in the nation this year. They're twenty-seven and eleven against the spread, and and this has just been a team that's won a lot of different ways. It, it feels like they can kind of do anything. Uh, they're, they're the thirtieth scoring D and third three-point percentage defense in the nation. I love that because Texas Tech hit thirty-nine percent of their threes against Gonzaga. It was just surprising the way they were coming out and hitting threes from all over the place and I just don't think they're going to be able to do that against Michigan State because the perimeter defense is so so good and they can kind of mix and match their game they can kind of do whatever the defense gives them so I like Michigan State there I think it's going to be a really tough tough game where it's tough to get points on on both sides.
3: What do you think in general as uh, as you break down um, th- this game? Like, is is there any value on any of the four teams? So you said you like Auburn. Do you like Auburn to cover? Or do you like Auburn to potentially pull off the upset?
7: I like I like a Michigan State Auburn final. Uh, so I'm going to take Auburn to pull off the upset as well, and uh, and that's actually paying uh, plus five fifty. So so that'd be a good play four. if
3: you're if you're right. There's really good value in taking Auburn even still in the final four.
7: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, uh, and they opened 33-1. to 1. They were the biggest underdog uh, before the tournament started to, to go to the national champ or to win the national championship. And uh, yeah, there's still good value. If you want to pick the exact matchup in, in the final here, there's good value. And uh, that's one I'll be taking here. I think Michigan State, another route you could go. I mean, if you want to parlay them and just take Michigan State uh, straight up, that works as well.
3: Warriors came close to locking up home court advantage in the Western Conference with a win last night over the Nuggets. I was just asking the guys, but if you had to take the Warriors or the field, which way are you going?
7: I would go with the field. Uh, and, and Warriors are minus 220, and uh, next best is the is the Bucks at eight to one. I would go with the field. I think I think the Warriors are in trouble here. We've seen big time signs of fatigue and this team fracturing a little bit. I, I'm I'm a, more worried than ever that this team can just turn it on when the playoffs start and go win a championship. And there's some value out there. Celtics are are almost twenty to one now after being eight to one before the season started. There's some value there, and uh, I, I love the field.
3: All right, uh, finally somebody taking that. And then early now. Uh, next week is the Masters. Anybody that you're looking at that you like as we come down the stretch here and get ready for next week's Masters run?
7: Yeah, I, I would just say look further down the board, and uh, obviously Rory playing well. The big, the big boys are playing really well, but but there's going to be some names down the board. John Rahm is one that stands out to me. He's Eighteen to one, uh, and and that's one I really like. Molinari is a guy who can play really steady and get a lot of birdies. He's twenty two to one, and Tommy Fleetwood, another guy just playing sensational shot making golf right now at twenty five to one. So, I don't think it's going to be one of the top dogs this year. I, I think there's going to be a bit of a surprise at the Masters.
3: Outstanding as always, John Campbell. Go follow him on Twitter at Johnny Odd Shark, and uh, we will talk to you again next week, my man. Sounds good,
7: thanks, bro.
3: Uh, That is John Campbell. When we come back, Hour 2, Wednesday edition. If you're a regular listener, you already know what I'm going to say. It's the anonymous mailbag live on the radio. 877-996-6369. I will solve any problem in the world of Outkick Nation. 877-996-6369. Load up the phone lines. Dub will theoretically answer the phone as he is paid to do. 877-996-6369. Your calls, my answers. I am the King Solomon of the radio, and I will solve your problems on Fox Sports Radio. This is Outkick, the coverage with Clay Travis. For those of you waking up across the country, to our voice, we thank you and hope that you are having a fantastic start to your Wednesday morning. A couple of things that uh, have t- happened uh, over the course of the evening Uh, One, we have got uh, the Golden State Warriors sending a message to the Denver Nuggets that they are not to be taken lightly and that the Golden State Warriors remain the overwhelming favorite to win the NBA title. You at least heard John Campbell say he thought there might be some value on the field as opposed to the Warriors. Uh, That is something that uh, most people are not saying right now. We'll see what ends up transpiring there. Uh, Bryce Harper returned to play against the Washington Nationals and hit a towering home run uh, en route to leading the Phillies to a victory. He's now got three home runs in the first four games, which is a pretty hot start to the year for him. And, And we opened the show with this and talked about it quite a bit. The AAF officially shutting down. What does that mean for the future of spring football? What does it mean for Vince McMahon and the XFL going forward? I think the XFL is actually set up pretty well for success, but certainly there is a reason for a great deal of skepticism when it comes to the idea that a spring football league might have a chance. All of those things out there circulating in hour three, we will be talking with Auburn men's basketball coach Bruce Pearl uh, about the Final Four and his team's run there. So that is on the horizon. He'll be joining us live to start off hour three. But all that is still to come. For those of you who are regular listeners, either on the podcast, which I'd encourage you, by the way, to download, or regular listeners on one of our 300-plus stations. By the way, New Orleans, we may be on right now. I'm not sure when the official uh, flip date is for New Orleans. Uh, But we are uh, coming to 1280 a.m. in the New Orleans area in Louisiana, continuing to add affiliates across the country. If you were down there, And you are listening uh, to us for some reason there. You can now pick up the show uh, there as well. So all of that still out there on the horizon and working uh, very well. Appreciate all the affiliates that have been picking up this show. But in hour two on Wednesday, we do the anonymous mailbag live on the radio where you call in with problems and I will solve them. Because much like I do on the internet where we have a wildly popular column called the anonymous mailbag at my website outkick outkick.com if you want to check that out you can see what's going on in my universe there every Tuesday I do a written version of the anonymous mailbag well on Wednesdays in hour two we do an on the radio live version 877-996-6369 if you call in all we need is your state we don't need your name Give us your state, 877-996-6369, and I will solve whatever problem you have in the world. Uh, Dub will field those calls, 877-996-6369. Let's go ahead and play the music, boys, and then we'll dive in and see what's going on with uh, the problems in the Outkick universe on this early April Wednesday morning. What you got for us?
0: You've got mail, mother Anonymous mail back.
1: If there was a problem, yo, I'll solve it.
3: All right, Dub, what you got for us?
6: We got Fremont, California up first.
3: All right, California, what's shaking?
8: What up, what up? Hey, check this out. So, I got a sister-in-law that's having her first child. And my wife's been her mother figure since my mother-in-law passed away. But she's got a brother as well. And having his fourth kid. So we're going to throw an extravagant baby shower for my sister-in-law, but they're going to be due about the same time. Now this clown is trying to do like a double baby shower today, and I'm looking at him like, "Did we lose it? No, a baby shower after your fourth after your second kid is no good. Am I right or am I wrong?
3: Yeah, I think in general, if you've already had one kid, you should have everything for the baby shower. And so uh, I also think every kid, you celebrate their arrival in a less ostentatious fashion. But if you've already got – I've got three. And by the time you got to number three, you knew exactly what you needed. You already had most of the baby-related paraphernalia. Uh, My four-year-old now wears a lot of the clothes. Like I recognize the clothes that he's wearing because I've seen them on his brothers before him, right? Uh, so, uh, yeah, you can't do a fourth, ba- fourth kid baby shower uh, if he's feeling jealous. Like, that's a no-brainer, right? I mean, the, the, the first baby is the big event. After that, the baby shower diminishes its importance going forward. Everybody understands that. And also, you're a man. You need to not be involved in the baby shower dynamic anyway. One of the great flaws that exist in this country right now is the idea that men and women should have to do everything together. The baby shower is an awful experiment. Uh, sorry, awful experience for men. And this idea that everything that women do, men should have to do, and everything that men do, women should have to do, I fundamentally disagree with. There is this couple shower trend, which fortunately I dodged for my kids. Women are involved in baby showers. As a man, your only responsibility at a baby shower is to show up after the baby shower is over and load up all the packages in your vehicle to be able to drive all the presents back to wherever the pregnant woman wants to go. But this idea, have you guys noticed this? Have you guys had to go to, Dub, you probably haven't because you're young enough. You're 25. But Roberto or Eddie or or Danny G, have any of you had to go to a couple's baby shower yet?
0: I did. Ours was a
1: couple baby shower.
3: Yeah, it's a disaster. (laughs) It was a party. Yeah, not a good idea. You, th- this, I, I've been to a couple's baby showers. I have no interest in it at all. I don't want to go to them. I don't want them to exist for men. Women can handle the baby shower. Yep. Men, have you had to be, you're you're single still.
5: Yeah, but I dated a girl who dragged me to her friend's couple's party. That's even worse. Yep.
3: If you are dating a girl Uh and you go to a couple's baby shower, that is like, you just might as well, I mean, give up on life. Because (laughs) the one thing you have the advantage of if you're not married is you don't have to go wherever your wife tells you to go. If you're going to couple's baby showers and you're dating a girl, that's an awful
5: position Well, this was a girl that I dated for a couple of years. Even still. I I know, it it was not fun, except for the alcohol there. And then they did the games, and without even trying, I won one of the games. And as a guy, you feel bad if you win any of the games that they have. Was it chugging the beer one? Is that what it was?
3: Yeah, look, I mean, if you want to have a couple's party, that's fine. Have a couple's party. But the idea that men should all be required to attend baby showers is fundamentally awful. It just really is. Uh, All right, Doug, what else we got?
6: We got Ohio
3: on the line. Ohio what problems do you have one problem that the state of Ohio Hello? seems to have yeah is that they never can talk on the phone when we go to them what pause for a second here with Ohio every time we go to like the state of Ohio or the state of Kentucky it's like people aren't aware that phones exist or that how it works like turn your radio down like I don't want to be turn your radio guy down, but just listen to the phone. Listen to me talking. All right, Ohio, what problem do you have in addition to the fact that you can't use a phone?
2: Hi. um, Actually,
9: I'm Clay from um, Nashville. I'm here to – I tried to call in last week to solve your problem, but um, your phone's not working. What? So I sent my first tweet ever to you, and I think to solve your problem of being a
7: fan – is if you bet against your team, you're going to be happy either
3: way. Thanks for the call.
1: Uh, what we need to that? start
3: ranking states based on, based on the badness, of the, the, the awfulness of the calls that we get from those states. Ohio <laughs> is ranking pretty high right now.
5: Was that attempted comedy?
3: I think it was attempted comedy. Did not land well. Uh, I think he was saying last week we talked about whether or not I should retire as a fan, and he's yeah. saying that I should bet against my teams. I do that already. Like, I bet against my teams on a regular basis if I think that they don't have – if they're not on the right side. So I don't have any issue betting against my favorite teams already. And I understand that there's something called an emotional hedge where some people out there will make decisions, you know, not to bet on their team because, you know, that way at least if their team loses, they also are still making money. So I know there's probably a lot of you out there that have done that on some level. So it helps to uh, lessen the overall uh, pain that you feel if your team loses. Well, at least I made some money. But uh, I, I try not to think too much about balancing out the emotional hedge. There, I just look at the at the matchup and decide whether or not I think the numbers in the right place. Eight seven seven nine nine six six three six nine. In addition to not being ready to talk and not being able to handle the fact that he had uh you know this wild technological innovation called the phone uh in the place uh he was just uh he was not prepared very well all right let's go to break when we come back hopefully the calls will be uh improved uh you can again dubs lining them up 877 this is outkick the coverage anonymous mailbag live on the radio on fox sports radio
0: Be sure to catch live editions of Outkick, the coverage with Clay Travis weekdays at 6 a.m. Eastern, 3 a.m. Pacific.
3: Welcome back, Geico Outkick Studios. Four years and counting, 877-996-6369. Dub can only answer your calls while we aren't talking to callers. If that sounds like a flaw to you, it is a flaw. So we're going to load up the phone lines right now, 877-996-6369. Give your state and your problem in one sentence to Dub. 877 996 6369. Your state and your problem in one sentence so he can load them up right now. What is the status of the phone situation right now?
6: So basically, while there's a caller on air, I can no longer answer other calls in this new studio the way it's set up. In the, in the other studio, the, uh, the Fox Sports studio. Uh, The the phone has a pad on the board so I can send callers on through there and then I can also answer calls on the phone. This one just has the phone. So once I send a caller through, I can't answer another call while they're on the air. How
3: is it that we four years into the show can still not have the phone system resolved? Like this would seem like a readily apparent flaw that should be resolved, right? Like you should be able to field calls while I'm talking to people live on the radio right
5: well he's actually taking a call right now to put it on hold for you this is uh, never
3: like I don't understand (laughs) how I and I and I and I and I've been saying this for four years I don't understand how it's possible that the phones can be this bad and that we can have perpetual failure of most basic communication possibilities when it comes to the phone. Like, it's how is it that we could... Like, I I don't even understand how this is possible. I swear to God. Dub's job is to answer the phones. It would be a huge flaw if while I'm talking to someone on the phone, Dub can't also field phone calls. I'm going to strangle someone to death. (sighs) I mean, I, in, in all honesty, I don't understand how it's how it's this incompetent. Right, I really don't. Uh, Dub, can Dub talk to us now, or is he on the phone talking to somebody?
6: Yeah, I'm good. Our lines are nice and loaded now. We're ready to roll.
3: All right, so you just basically just hit me in order. Who are we going to first here?
6: Right, we got California up first.
3: California, what you got? California. Hey, how you doing? All right. Presume that I'm always okay. I don't want to hear anybody for the rest of the history of this show ask me how I'm doing, all right? I'm always doing awful because the phones never work. So lead with your question, everybody. Go straight to what you want to hit me with. California, what do you got? Hey, man, I don't know how
8: to handle my coworkers.
3: Alright, what's the problem?
8: I work in a I work in a jail where I can't leave until my relief comes.
3: That makes They're sense. Always late.
8: They never finish their jobs. Uh, I don't know what to do. I wanna I wanna punch one of these dudes in the mouth but I can't get fired.
3: How late are they?
8: Uh,
10: between five and ten minutes a day.
3: Uh, all right, thanks for the call. Well, first of all, five or ten minutes, not that big of a deal. Now, the question is, obviously, some people have serious jobs. If you're at a jail, it's important to have people there who are working at the jail. So if you leave, you don't want the prisoners to be able to escape. Uh, If they are consistently five or ten minutes late, I think what you should be able to make sure of is that you're being paid. That's the biggest issue. If you're getting paid and you know that they're going to be five or ten minutes late, I understand that people watch the clock and you're like, I hate my job, I want to be able to leave and... Two minutes, three minutes, one minute, whatever it is on the tick down. But if you presume that you're gonna have to work an extra half hour every single uh work day that you're there, as long as you're being paid for that excess time, then presume that you're gonna have to work an extra half hour, and if you're able to leave after only ten minutes instead of an extra half hour, then you feel like psychologically you got a benefit. So I think really it's about tricking yourself and in this day and age where we have almost full employment, I think you need to presume that the people who are there are not going to be necessarily the best possible employees. This is an issue for hiring all over the country. We have almost full on a full employment in this country. And so as a result, the a lot of times people who are getting jobs now are not necessarily qualified for the job they're getting and or they're not particularly good, which is why they've been on the sidelines for a long time. So, uh, so in your job, I think that's probably something that's happening. And, uh, so just presume that you're going to have to work an extra half hour than you actually do. And so if you're, uh, able to leave in five or 10 minutes extra, then you feel like you've actually won. Who's up next?
6: We got Vermont up next. Vermont, you're live. Hey, Clay, huge fan. How we doing?
3: I'm excellent. Even though I said, don't ever ask me how I'm doing. Presume that I'm I'm awesome. (laughs) But what questions you got?
10: So, uh girlfriend and I have been together for about five years now. Um, I'm 26.
7: She's 24. Um, we have saved enough money for a down payment on a
9: house. She's pushing me to get
7: a house, but she wants to go to college for another four more years full time. And I keep telling her we should just stay where we're at right now. Should we bite the bullet and get a fixer upper or should we continue renting while she
9: goes to college
3: all right what's the marriage plan here Ooh, (laughs) i think a house is pretty much the marriage plan here so you don't want to get married at all i do but when the time is right so okay like my thought in general is buying a home with someone who you are not married to seems like a pretty aggressive play Now, if you wanted to buy a home and you wanted to have her live there with you, or if she wanted to buy a home and she wanted to have you live there with her, uh, I totally understand that might make financial sense depending on where you are living. But what you're talking about right now is buying a home jointly. Uh, First of all, she's only 24 years old and she wants to go to college for four more years. Um, I, I don't know. Again, I don't know your particular financial situation, but in general, I would be apprehensive about buying a home with someone that I wasn't married to. Now, if you have the ability, because of your job, to be able to buy a home and you want to live there and allow her to live there with you, and maybe even help with the mortgage uh, by uh, by basically paying you rent, I think that's totally uh, totally makes sense. But I don't know that I want to jointly buy a home with somebody that I'm dating because what happens if suddenly you guys break up that's almost like a divorce when it comes to trying to figure out the home ownership aspects and it's like you're getting none of the benefits of marriage with all the complications of divorce so I would encourage either you or her and this for anybody out there who's listening thinking about this situation put it in one of your names and have the other person basically paying rent and helping to pay the mortgage Uh, If you're not married, I don't know why you would buy a house jointly with somebody else. Uh, Who's up next, Dub? We got Oregon up next. Oregon, what you got for me?
9: Hey, I got some real stuff for you here, Now, so what is going on? I've been dating this gal for about four years now, and slowly she's been getting the information about about sports betting because I love to gamble, right? And a couple weeks ago, we went down to Reno, and connected on a couple parlays made some good money then she was involved you know because she played you know he- top he- heavy favorites won. so we had a, a four-teamer a six-teamer we-, we netted like seven and a half thousand right
3: uh, yeah it's a good weekend and so
9: it was a great weekend and so now i'm looking at we're a big payday if virginia wins this bracket and now she's wanting a bigger piece of the pie and i'm and then she's also talking, I mean, marriage is kind of on the back burner, but she's been bringing it up. And with this $7,000, she wants me to get a ring. And I was like, you know, I bought her some nice stuff. I got her a little Louis, a Louis bag and, you know, and, 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 and we splurged and then we paid for the whole trip, but then still pocketed five grand. And then she's wanting to split the money. I'm like, she's never really been involved with the sports betting and now she's, She's out, well, who's, she's putting out, the
3: out and, who's putting the I, money up?
9: Who's putting the money up? I I
3: don't know. No, no. I mean, it's, if you bet a thousand dollars, who's betting the thousand dollars? Is she giving you five hundred dollars and you're giving five hundred, or where's the money initially? Oh no, on? no. I'm
9: I'm putting up. I'm paying for the whole trip and and the sports betting. You know. So yeah. no, it's all it's all fun. It's all me.
3: Yeah. Okay. So she doesn't get a share of it. It's your money.
9: Right. That's what I'm saying. And now she's wanting to then make the next step. And 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 I was all about marriage, you know, for a while, but it's just it, honestly this last trip to Reno and then if Virginia wins, I'm gonna get a large chunk and she's trying to like already talk about where to spend it and what to do and I'm I'm honestly thinking this is this is my time to go. Have you
3: been married, I, married really before? Have I'm you been married this. before? I
9: have and so has she.
3: You both been married. All right, thanks thanks for the call. First of all, every woman who's ever married every man has been trying to think about ways to spend his money if she's not making the money. So this idea, like if you've been married before, this idea that a woman who you are dating would be interested in thinking of ways to spend the money that you are making, as if this is a mind-blowing idea, this has existed throughout human history. If Adam, back in Adam and Eve, had had assets, as opposed to the tree and living in the Garden of Eden, Eve would have been trying to figure out ways to get him into a better neighborhood so, their kids could go to a better school long before Adam even thought about the idea of having kids. See, women look at men as partly like uh, finished products, right? This is a big difference between the way men and women look at relationships. Men look at women and they're like, man, I like the way she looks right now. I hope she never ages, I hope she never changes, by and large. Very few men who are like, I'm going to date this woman. I'm going to change the way she dresses. I'm going to change. No, men like the way women are. Women look at men as reclamation projects. She looks at you and says, okay, I can work with this. And that's because women are planning the next like 20 years of their lives while they are dating you. You're trying to get her to sleep with you later tonight. The roadmap for women is much longer than the roadmap for men. Now, this gambling issue that's going forward is not a complicated one. If you put the money into the bets, then the reward or the loss sticks with you. So, her arguing that she deserves a part of the the winnings, unless you're dealing with a savant who is actually making all the picks then that's a pretty ludicrous uh, situation for her to argue. You bought her a Louis Vuitton bag. You paid for the entire trip. Sounds like you guys had a good time. You got UVA potentially to win the tournament with a good payoff. That's great. She's entitled to none of it. You got to stand your ground here. Who's up next?
6: We got Ohio up next.
3: Oh, this will be good. Ohio, what's going on? Morning, Clay. Hey, what's shaking?
6: Love your show. On the radio, listen
10: to you every morning.
3: Appreciate that.
10: I think it's kind of ironic that you have knocked on Ohio this morning about the quality of the calls when you guys can't get your phones to work properly.
3: Yeah, well, for four years. Uh, so we're working on it. You know, that's basically the length of a presidential administration. And, like, during an yes. entire presidency, we have been unable to get our phones to work. But what's your problem?
10: Well, I, I don't really have a I problem. I love your show a lot. Put all us Buckeyes into this call.
3: He broke up there again because he's in Ohio and phones don't work in Ohio. What was he saying? He likes the show and something about the Buckeyes?
6: Yeah, we'll roll with that.
3: Yeah. All right. Who's next? Do we have another caller? God! Yes. That is what I deal with every single time I take phone calls. That's what's going on in my head the entire time. Uh, Who's up next? Las Vegas. Las Vegas. What do you got for me? What's up,
8: Clay? So, I called last week about uh, about my, my grandfather and my uncle's situation, the attempted murder.
3: Yeah, that was a pretty serious one. Yeah, what happened?
8: Yeah, so, I, I called the cops. Cops never showed up. So, I called a friend that actually works with the local precinct, and he was telling me that he couldn't do nothing because it's not in his jurisdiction. Well, it's not in his commanding area. So, what what should I do?
3: Refresh me I again. For, Refresh me like in, in a quick way uh, because we take a lot of calls. But if I remember correctly, I know, it, was,
8: yeah, it was yeah, it was an attempted murder. murder. But who's trying to kill bad. who? He, uh, the uncle was trying to kill the grandpa or his stepfather.
3: Yeah, and he beat him up pretty bad.
8: Yeah, with a baseball bat. And his excuse was, "Oh, he's a boxer. He could take." I thought he could take it.
3: Yeah, that's a tough situation. And then and they, have they been in contact since? Oh,
8: the uncle's been coming back there.
3: Um and uh, and nothing happened. So so then the police said wouldn't come to the house. Like I don't understand that. You said that one of them is like threatening another one and they said they won't come.
8: So what it is is I called the cops anonymously. And I told them that the uncle was there. They said that they would send somebody out there and nobody ever showed up.
11: Yeah. So I Um, called
8: him again, and still nobody showed up. So, I mean, I work for a private company, and I can actually apprehend him, but I don't want to do that to my wife's family. So what should I do, Clay? I
3: I would, if if they're not taking the anonymous phone call, and again, this is like a situation where you think uh, the violence has taken place and violence is going to happen again, and there's already been a crime committed – if they're not taking the phone call, then I would be. You know, it, it is an interesting question. I'm not sure how you solve this issue, uh, but uh, but but that is uh, it's surprising to me that if if there is a crime going on, that the Las Vegas police would respond in this way. Um, and we have a big audience in Las Vegas, and there's probably some police officers listening right now. Um, and uh, I I don't know. I mean, the the story that we heard last week was that somebody got beaten up. And that the threat was that the beating up was going to continue, and there's physical violence involved, and there's injuries. Um, the police should be responsive to an issue like that. Uh, I don't know why they would not. And that's troubling if uh, if true that they will uh, will will not do it. Um, all right, do we have any other calls we're going to take? Or are we just going to say like we managed to survive this segment? We
6: got a couple more callers waiting.
3: All right, let's go. Who we got? Alabama. Alabama, what you got for me? God! I mean.
6: <laughs> Roll Tide. All right, let's wrap this up in Utah. Uh,
3: this has been a f- – I'm, I'm so close to cursing. I wish we didn't have FCC restrictions. Uh, Utah, what you got for me?
10: Hey, Clay. I work with um, management in a large company, and I work with a peer who manages to get by with uh, skirting along on my hotel whenever I have successes is that group us together whenever we accomplish a task or whenever I take on some sort of challenge and I'm trying to separate myself to get promoted but it seems like every success or group together every
3: shortcoming is separated is it only the two of you or is there more people involved in this group so there's three of us total but
10: the one that I'm speaking of I work with at a closer capacity
3: Um, and so basically you feel like you're doing, uh, more than your fair share and, uh, and as a result, you're not receiving the the proper commendation. Absolutely. Uh, are you and this other person around the same tenure at the company? Yes. Um, and why do you think you're being grouped together and assigned projects to do together as opposed to independently?
10: So it's not necessarily us being assigned. We have projects that are given as far as trainings go, corporate trainings, uh, corporate initiatives that we roll out. I'm always one to look for challenges and tasks, so I volunteer. And he offers assistance, and I say, sure, uh, and he does that publicly. So as I complete the task, I'm usually doing 90% of it by myself. So when the project's completed and it's very well done, everyone remembers, Oh yeah, this guy did it with him, so let's group them together and obviously they're a successful team when in reality it's me doing ninety percent and him doing ten percent and the vocalizing success.
3: Yeah, okay. Uh here's what I would suggest. If you're doing ninety percent of the work and he's doing ten percent of the work, just tell him you got that you got it. That you don't need any help on this particular project. This is a big issue I I think in general. Like I remember when I was in law school Every single assignment that the business school would do because we would sometimes have classes where people would work together and stuff, it's all group work. And so figuring out how to assign uh, the workload so that it's relatively even when you've got multiple people involved is oftentimes very much of a challenge. And so uh, if you've got a challenge and you're doing 90% of the work and not receiving all of the commendation for the work that you're doing, I think an easy solution is... Take on the job entirely yourself and let this other person do something else. Just tell them, hey, I got this. I appreciate your offer of help, but I don't think I need it. And do 100% of the work yourself. And let that other person find something else to do. I thought you were having particular tasks assigned and you were ending up having to carry all the weight. Uh, if that's not the case, then, uh, then go ahead and take it yourself. And just knock it out and don't allow anybody else to kind of parachute in and take credit for the work that you're doing. Good luck with that. Phones continue to drive me insane. Uh, When we come back, we'll do some Animal Thunderdome for you. This is Outkick the Coverage on Fox Sports Radio.
2: I can't deal
0: with it! This is Outkick the Coverage with Clay Travis.
2: Dot com slash sports tire the way tire buying should be
3: welcome back Geico Outkick Studios cue the music voice
0: ladies and gentlemen I'm just glad I was there boys and girls I thought he thought I was like this ginormous piece of chicken dying times here this
3: is Animal Thunderdome. All right, boys and girls, what we got, Danny G? All
5: right, Clay, let's start with animal on animal crime. An Arizona puppy is recovering after being carried away by an owl. Oh, no. <laughs> this owl apparently got tired and dropped it on a local golf course. Bonnie Ziegler, who's fostering this puppy named Latte, and her three siblings for Foothills Animal Rescue, said the canine vanished during a bathroom break in her yard. I didn't hear a sound, and the other puppies didn't even bark. It was as if she just vanished, Ziegler told a Phoenix radio station. We immediately started searching, and soon after our neighbors joined in, we even posted a notice on the Nextdoor app in the hope someone might find her. Latte turned up 12 hours later at the Troon Country Club, suffering from dehydration and puncture wounds. Veterinarians said the wounds answered the mystery of this puppy's disappearance she had been grabbed and carried off by an owl
3: so the owl was gonna eat the the
5: puppy i i mean this owl picked this puppy up out of the yard so obviously the owl must have thought this puppy was a meal but dropped it latte's recovering from her injuries and is expected to be in foster care for a few more weeks before going up for adoption
3: wow it's crazy yeah I mean, I mean, I guess, like, owl, I, I'm not sure how big owls are in terms of, like, what food they grab. Can they catch, like, squirrels? Maybe this is just a really small puppy that they, uh, that, they that owl yeah, that, mistook. Yeah, owls are huge, man. I've seen those. I mean, an owl can be big, but i surprised you guys that they just pick yeah. up puppies?
5: No, the first thing I thought is exactly what you just said. It must have been a really young puppy because otherwise, well, obviously the owl did get tired and dropped this thing, but, I mean, that's more than a snack for an owl
3: yeah i mean and also i mean that seems like i mean god the poor puppy what a tough break imagine got
5: an aerial view of the city and then dropped on the greens
3: yeah that's crazy can you imagine if you were golfing and you're like standing over a putt next thing you know an owl comes by with a puppy and just drops it right down on the green
5: incoming
3: yeah all
5: right let's go to illinois two heroes to celebrate two sheriff's officers you might not think these deputies are heroes though clay they ran into a burning home to rescue a large boa constrictor yeah,
3: that if you I, I would fire them honestly uh, and and i appreciate everything that, that police officers do but if i'm employing guys who risk their life to save a boa constrictor i don't trust them to do anything in in, uh, in, in terms of being able to uh, to work for my uh, my police department i fire them immediately only good snakes a dead snake uh this is a bad decision
5: deputies hayden and Zirkel ran into the smoke-filled residence in burbanos early thursday after being told the pet boa constrictor was still trapped inside the deputies were able to carry the boa constrictor out of the flames to safety and reunite it with its beloved pet owner who was very grateful the fire department says the fire was sparked by an aquarium stand inside the home no injuries to human or snake because of the two heroes,
3: yeah, yeah. You're not a hero if you save a snake. I'm sorry.
5: <laughs> All right, and quickly, we see this a lot. Must be an interesting job to be a customs officials uh, or official, rather. In India, they're saying a traveler arrived from Thailand and was found to be smuggling in animals. How many times have we seen this? Check this out. What he had though. This resident who arrived at the international airport from Bangkok, he was acting suspicious at the airport last Monday, so they searched his luggage. The officers found the man's bag concealed with horned pit vipers, two rhino iguanas, 22 Egyptian tortoises, four blue-tongued skinks. I've dated a couple of those. And several,
3: <laughs> I don't even know what that is. I don't
5: either. It's S-K-I-N-K-S. <laughs> and several green tree frogs. How do you even get all that into a luggage? I don't understand. Where was this at? And, and this why wouldn't it be Bangkok. like
3: Animal Thunderdome oh. with all the animals fighting? Yeah. And so they caught this guy. I mean, I'm assuming these are, like, highly sought-after, high-end animals.
5: Exactly. Yeah, this dude was trying to sell these exotic animals. Mohammed Abdul Mahid, 22, was arrested for violating the Indian Customs Act of 1962. Officials say the seized animals will be sent back to Thailand.
3: From Uh, where? You know. From Bangkok. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know. I mean, this is not as bad as the uh, the, the worst of these custom stories was. the Remember the Cobras oh, in the, the Pringles. Pringles cans? Yeah, oh, man. Uh, I mean, you put a Cobra snake in a Pringles can. I'm death, sorry. Like, death you penalty. You should get decapitated. <laughs> death penalty immediately. All right, when we come back, hour three, we're going to talk with Auburn men's basketball coach Bruce Pearl. We're going to dive back into the AAF being canceled. Warriors got a big win, and uh, we'll continue to break down Bryce Harper. Back to the Nats next on OutKick. This is OutKick, the coverage with Clay Travis. Wherever you are, thanks for spending your Wednesday morning with us here on OutKick. Several big stories, I would say, in the world of sports that we've been tracking uh, through the first two hours as we move into the third hour. Just giving you a heads up, we're scheduled to be joined by Auburn men's basketball coach Bruce Pearl in the next segment of this show as he gets ready for the Final Four. We break down... All of that and more with him, that is on the horizon. But in uh, this segment, uh, first of all, the Golden State Warriors, every time the Denver Nuggets get close to them, they whip them. And uh, that happened again last night. The Warriors coming close to locking up the overall number one seed in the NBA's Western Conference as they prepare to try to win their fourth title in five years. They remain a prohibitive gambling favorite Everybody on this show, with the exception of John Campbell, who was our guest in hour one, uh, said that they would take the Warriors versus the entire field. The Warriors remain minus 200 or so as the favorite to win uh, the NBA championship. Um, Outside of uh, the Warriors, Bryce Harper returned to uh, Washington, D.C., and arrived and Blasted a massive home run to help the Phillies start off 4-0. He's got three home runs. Good start for Bryce Harper in the wake of signing that big contract and leaving the Washington Nationals for the Philadelphia Phillies. But the big story that we started the show with and we've continued to break down is the shutting down of the AAF. I believe this is a good sign for the XFL. The XFL, according to Sports Business Journal, going to be airing on Fox and ESPN starting next spring. They'll also be on FS1 uh, and ESPN as well as ABC and Big Fox. They are going to be a well-distributed spring football league that has the ability to go out and sign college players who are not yet eligible for the NFL. All of that, I think, means this is a good thing for Vince McMahon. The AAF shutting down, to me, doesn't mean that he's in trouble when it comes to the success of spring football. It means that the XFL is not going to have a strong competitor to worry about. I have been told that the AAF contacted Vince McMahon and the XFL when they were trying to raise money when it became clear that they didn't have enough money to last throughout the first year and pay all of the players that Vince McMahon looked over all of their uh, all of their property and all of their assets and said uh, you know what I just don't think there's anything here for me to need to buy uh, because the AAF was hoping that Vince McMahon might buy their league and roll it into the XFL So far, he has not been willing or uh, willing to do it, I would say, more so than anything else from a business perspective. Uh, I think the big advantage the XFL has, in addition to the Fox and the ESPN relationships that have been reported will happen next year, I think the big advantage that they have on top of that is unlike the AAF, which had to go and raise money from a lot of different wealthy individuals in order to allow this business to exist, all the XFL has to do is make Vince McMahon happy because he is rolling all the money into the XFL. And for people out there like, oh, Vince McMahon's going to lose so much money. Well, Vince McMahon is worth billions of dollars. And the WWE has been on an absolute roll, if you've been paying attention to its stock price. So the odds of Vince McMahon really, he's in a great shape uh, financially, so that if he loses a couple of hundred million dollars, it's no great trouble going forward for him. Uh, because of uh, of what he has been able to accomplish with the WWE. This is just a legacy move for Vince McMahon to see whether or not he can finally create a spring football league, a minor league for the NFL, uh, which I think could actually be good for college football because given the fact that the XFL is going to sign players who want to play immediately uh, at 18, 19, 20 years old, whatever that age is, there'd be no argument that college football players should be paid if there was a way to play football without getting paid which is what the XFL would allow because there would be no age limit so with all that in mind I believe Danny you put together a quiz to uh, remember the AAF and also see what we actually learned from this short-lived season so uh, do we? I don't know if we have any music. Here yep. we go, the Jeopardy music to accompany the death of the AAF was born with such great, uh, you know, ratings to start on CBS. Never was able to exist as a viable business uh, opportunity, but we may have all learned something. We'll see if I learned anything. Fire away.
5: All right, Clay. Now that it's a wrap, I have an AAF all-time leader quiz for you. Multiple choice, of course, because to Eddie's point to start off the show as a lot of football fans have been saying there just wasn't enough star players this may prove it okay here we go question number one for you who is the winningest coach in AAF I don't
3: need I don't need any options here the answer is Steve Spurrier (laughs) Orlando went seven and one yeah you're right
5: Tim Lewis Rick Neuheisel we're going to be the other choices but yeah okay
3: Solid You're, debut for me there on the not quiz. Not bad.
5: I don't think you'll do as good for the rest of the quiz here, though. Here we go. Who's the all time leader in AAF rushing yards?
3: Uh Trent Richardson. No. I have no idea. What are my options? Are you gonna let,
5: well, you ruined it there. The answer is Jarrell Presley of the Arizona Hotshots with four hundred and thirty one rushing yards.
3: Don't know that I've ever heard that name before. What did Trent Richardson finish with?
5: uh i'll have to look that up for you he was in third place as far as rushing yards. okay all right he did lead the league in touchdown scored though and he played the for the game. birmingham
3: iron so yes. i'm pretty good here on the wow. aaf knowledge yeah
5: yeah and if you let me finish the questions here all right question number three who is the all-time tackles leader in the aaf a eric dargan of the Hotshots. b demarcus gates of memphis or c will hill the third of orlando
3: I don't know that any of these people are real, but I'll go with Will Hill III. <laughs>
5: Wrong. And give him the buzzer. It was Demarcus Gates, 52 tackles for the Memphis Express. All right, here we go. Question four. Who is the all-time sack leader in the AAF? A. Roan Elliott. B, DeMontre Moore. J. Elliot Elliott is, was of the San Antonio Commanders. DeMontre Moore of the San Diego Fleet. Or C, Tracy Sprinkle of the Atlanta Legends. B. Demontre Moore. Wrong. Give him the buzzer.
3: I don't even know any of these guys. I think I remember Demontre Moore's name.
5: J. Rowan Elliott is actually a former Saint, and he was, if they are truly done, he's the all-time sack leader for the AAF with seven and a half.
3: That's pretty good.
5: Yeah, not bad. All right, and uh, question number five. What quarterback holds the most passing yards in AAF history? A. A. Garrett Gilbert of Orlando, B, John Wolford of Arizona, or C, Luis Perez of Birmingham?
3: I think Garrett Gilbert was pretty good. Like, I think that... They, in the So I'm going to say that he was. You got that right. I mean, there's 2, some 1, talk...
5: 2,152 yards. Wolford led the league in touchdowns thrown. Gilbert led the league in passing yards.
3: Yeah, I mean, there's some talk that Gilbert may be able to sign an NFL contract now. I mean, he obviously got to work with Steve Spurrier and uh spurrier came out of retirement and went seven and one with the orlando franchise uh what were there two games left this was a 10 game season right you
5: jerk that was going to be the bonus question here okay it's okay here we go question number six who is the aaf's all-time receiving yards leader a rashad ross of the arizona Hotshots. b nelson spruce of the san diego fleet or C. Charles Johnson of the Orlando Apollos.
3: I think I remember Spruce. Didn't he play at Colorado back in the day? Didn't Spruce have some pretty good success? Uh, am I totally making that up? Uh, <laughs> I will go with Spruce. Wrong. Give him the buzzer.
5: Charles Johnson of Orlando, six hundred and eighty-seven receiving yards.
3: Yeah, that's not bad. Um, you know, like, and so I think the question will become. Didn't you say earlier that there were reports that each team had around five guys that would be NFL caliber? Correct. Um, And so uh, in the, I think it was an A-team league, I mean, that's almost an entire roster worth of NFL potential players. So I think the question will be, is the XFL able to get a higher quality of player and more importantly for the XFL? I think more importantly for the XFL, the question will be, Uh, are they able to get enough players that people care about and and or recognize the names of? I think all those guys you just ran through, the vast majority of those names, people who are listening to us have no idea who they are. So in order to create storylines, you need players that people have a vested interest in. And in the NFL, those vested interest storylines can be You know that you've played multiple years in the NFL, or you know they can be based on that you played multiple years in college, and so people are rooting for you. When you come into a brand new league, the challenge is storylines, and because there's no existing rivalries, there's no existing reason why fans would care about the individual teams. So you need players that fans already have a lot invested in. Now the AAF got to Johnny Manziel late, uh, but to me, I've said this from the get go. Uh, and I don't know we need to get a Tebow update at some and see how Tebow's doing in the minor leagues because uh, you know I expect that at some point expected that at some point he may make a debut with the Mets this year but I haven't gotten an update on him in a while and the AAF reportedly reached out to Tebow to try to get him to come work and and play for them Uh, but to me the XFL uh, should make a real run at Johnny Manziel who got to play at the very end of the AAF season and then uh, also make a run with, uh, with Colin Kaepernick and see if there's any way to get any of those guys signed. That, to me, is the best possible way they could d- develop early interest in the league by having a high level of player that fans already have an investment in so you would tune in to see how those guys do uh, regardless of where the league was uh, in terms of uh, the rivalries and in terms of the overall talent elsewhere having some superstars on the field, I think would be a good way to start. But the other thing the XFL will be able to do is try to get top college players. And so if they could recruit a couple of guys at a college level that are high, uh, high-end players, that would also help with the overall storylines. Up next, Bruce Pearl, Auburn's men basketball coach, scheduled to join us. This is Outkick the Coverage on Fox Sports Radio. We're joined now by Auburn men's basketball coach Bruce Pearl, and be honest, first of all, congrats on the final four run, but secondly, when you saw the bracket come out and recognized that you would be set up potentially to play against Kansas, North Carolina, and Kentucky, what did you think?
11: Well, Clay, I honestly told our guys, I said, listen, why are we in this thing? And the answer was, we're in this thing to try to make history. And I'm like, guys, what better way of trying to make history than listen to the road to the Final Four? And I went through it just like that. And uh, I said, look, to win it all, these teams need to be beaten, and so why not us? And, uh, I'm not saying that to you now this morning just because it sounds good for you know for radio. Um, we really did talk about it, um, and I'm not saying that we thought for sure we could do it. But I didn't want them to look at it and go, oh, no, you're kidding me. we got Kansas. we got North Carolina. We, we might play Kentucky for the third time. I didn't want them to look at it that way. I said, guys, we're trying to make history. This is the greatest opportunity of a lifetime.
3: And you did make history. What has it meant to Auburn so far for you to be in the Final Four? What has the reaction been like, and has it been what you anticipated it would be like? Because I know you've been trying to make the Final Four for a while now.
11: No, you know what, it's certainly not a time to reflect, but you certainly can discuss what the reaction has been like so far, and that is euphoria. Um, I mean, we've had, we've had Tumor's cornered roll rolled for three straight Sundays. We're talking an SEC tournament championship, uh, first and the second round wins in Utah, a regional championship in Kansas City. And there is no toilet paper anywhere in Lower Alabama. I'm just telling you. You, get, you need a wipe with a towel because there's no cloth. There's no toilet paper. Um, so it's been it's been way more than what I, what I thought it would be. Um, but you know what? When it comes to, look, you, you think about your, your life's greatest moments. They were what they were because you shared them with your closest friends and family. And you hear a lot about Auburn family and all that stuff here. Look. This is a small college town, and we are very connected, and we support one another. And and uh, I talked to Coach Kevin Steele. Let me talk to some of the defense yesterday, and I could just see in their eyes how happy they were for us, and uh, how much they were enjoying the ride themselves.
3: You beat, we just said, Kansas, you beat North Carolina, and you beat Kentucky back-to-back-to-back. But in order to get to those games, you had to survive Utah State, and they had a wide-open three-pointer at the end of that first-round game uh, to potentially beat you. Did you go back and watch that game at all? Have you since that was played? Uh, And then I want to ask another question, but I'm curious if you went back and looked over that.
11: Yeah, I mean, Clay, we did look over it, or I looked over it, um, and I didn't even make my team watch it. Uh, I would let them. I would not let them, because we had to make six or seven mistakes in the last minute, ten seconds, uh, in order to um, put ourselves in a position to lose that game. And interestingly, the most valuable player of the Midwest region, Jared Harper, who, along with Bryce Brown, offensively um, almost single-handedly beat Kentucky, because without Chumo Kiki, uh, we, you know, we're not the same team. And, and we miss him on both ends of the floor. Um, and he, he was probably responsible for four or five of those mistakes. And typically a great point guard like him might make one that would cost you a game. So obviously, uh, what's going on here with Auburn, this has been part of
3: God's plan. How much of an NCAA tournament run to the Final Four is the luck versus Skill?
11: Oh, I think you can't win it if you're not in it. And so the bottom line is, being in it, being seated. Look, we had to win our last eight games for a regular season, for an NCC tournament to capture a five seed, which meant that we would not see the one until the Sweet Sixteen. So, in other words, Clay, your your best chance to advance is by getting seated well. And so. You know, beating the Mexico State, beating Kansas, all right, that was difficult, but it still wasn't the impossible dream of beating North Carolina and Kentucky in the regional final. And so, no, I, I would say you've got to both, but, but listen, more hard work than anything. Otherwise, you're not in it, and you're not seated with a chance to advance.
3: You mentioned Jared Harper. How good has he been, and how good will he have to be for you guys to advance going forward?
11: Well, he and Bryce are going to have to both be great. And again, because we don't have our most valuable player, that's Jumo Kiki. Um, he's been great. Um, he is a an undersized point guard. Um, speed matters. Um, uh, quickness matters. And, 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 and he is, um, he might be the fastest guy in the tournament. Bryce Brown might be the best shooter in the tournament left. Now we'll see, because we go up against a Virginia team that can really shoot it. Um, but that group there, they're not anybody's watch list uh they weren't first team all-conference they weren't in the all-american listings uh every team left has got an AP Arnold mentioned or second or third team or first team all-american every team left has got a first team all-conference player Auburn doesn't have any of that but you put us all together and we're a pretty good club
3: when you look at Virginia and I know you're aggressively preparing for them right now what do you see
11: uh, very well coached team, incredibly disciplined, um, run very solid, basic stuff. That's hard to guard. It's well thought out. If you do this, they do that. If you do that, they do this. Uh, they're efficient offensively. Um, they've got a great system, and uh, it'll be an honor to take my Tom Davis system and to go up against Tony Bennett's Dick Bennett system. Two legendary Division Three connected college coaches. um, Tom Davis, who was my mentor, of course, Tony Bennett, excuse me, Dick Bennett was Tony's mentor.
3: How do you prepare? I know you've got Virginia, but in the event that you win, you've got Michigan State and you've got Texas Tech sitting there on the other side of the bracket. How do you divide your time and be prepared for what has got to be a whirlwind? You play on Saturday night and then you would turn around and play again on Monday night Uh, how do you balance that? How do you get your team ready? Well,
11: Clay, I'm walking into a meeting in about a minute, speaking of time, so here's what I'm going to tell you. I have three assistant coaches, each one of them captain a team of grad assistants and other folks. Uh, I looked at Michigan State and Texas Tech a little bit on Monday. I put them both away, and at this point, Virginia is now our only focus. So, listen, we're blessed and excited. We hope to continue to represent the SEC well. And, um, um, you know, our goal is to win two more games um, and uh, see if we can't win a national championship and give God all the glory.
3: I think this is a question that you will find interesting. There are odds up for everything, right? Um, for the final four. This is one of the odds. I'm curious what side you would take. You are plus 275 to cry in a post game interview. Uh, Chris Beard, 10 to 1. Izzo, 5 to 1. And Tony Bennett is nine to one. Do you think you should be the favorite of the four final four coaches to cry? Yep, yeah, yep, yeah, no question. I'm soft and <laughs> I love my
11: players, and uh, I, I, I let it all hang out. So why not some tears,
3: Coach? I know you got to run. Thanks so much for joining us, and good luck against UVA on Saturday. That is Auburn men's basketball coach Bruce Pearl. You can follow him on Twitter at Coach Bruce Pearl. Let's go ahead and go to the, uh, the update. Obviously, he, he has talked a lot about what Chuma has meant to, uh, to this Auburn team. And if you haven't been aggressively following the NCAA tournament, uh, one of their best, if not their best player, Chuma Okiki, tearing his ACL with eight minutes left in that game against North Carolina. A uh, bit of news, by the way. We were just talking with Bruce Pearl, but a bit of news that I meant to hit you with when, uh, when he came back uh, for, before that segment Uh, Buzz Williams has left Virginia Tech and will be going to Texas A&M. So the SEC basketball coaching uh, group continues to increase in overall quality. Again, Buzz Williams, who has obviously had a lot of success at Virginia Tech, almost beat Duke, had that great play design. If you were watching the Virginia Tech-Duke game in the NCAA tournament, did beat Duke earlier in the year uh, in Blacksburg but they had the play design that uh, they had the tip at the uh, at the rim in the final couple of seconds there, could have won that game or put that game into overtime uh, with just a couple more plays. He will be moving to Texas A&M. So he was at Marquette, then he went to Virginia Tech. Now he is leaving Virginia Tech to go down to Texas A&M. Uh, further evidence of the SEC's overall increase of basketball coaching quality, Uh, Buzz Williams, again, leaving Virginia Tech to go to Texas A&M. Bit of a lateral move. Texas A&M has got a lot of money for two reasons. One, the SEC network has continued to pour money into the Aggie coffers. And two, oil. There's a lot of money to go around down with the Aggies, and so they are bringing in a new coach. That job will be filled. Uh, Remember Alabama? Went and hired Nate Oates in the uh, in the offseason from, uh, from Buffalo. That was a pretty quick move. Arkansas has an open job. Reports are that Eric Musselman out of Nevada may be the guy that they're kind of focusing on at Arkansas. And Vanderbilt has an open job in the SEC as well. And the report has been that Jerry Stackhouse, uh, yes, that Jerry Stackhouse that you remember from UNC and then a long NBA career might be the guy that they are focusing on at Vanderbilt that could be the direction that they are headed. But uh, I want to bring in Dub, who is an Auburn grad. Uh, Coach Bruce Pearl there uh, running around like crazy to get ready for Virginia. How optimistic are you? I know that Auburn people are over the moon over their first trip to the Final Four, as are Texas Tech people uh, with Chris Beard's success. But how optimistic are you given this matchup with UVA?
6: Well, to me, this this game breaks down to like the first six to eight minutes of this game because if Auburn can get out to a lead, make Virginia try to play at their pace, then I really like our chances. But if Virginia's able to control the pace, slow it down, not allow us to get on the fast break where we get a lot of our open three looks, then it's going to be much more difficult in my eyes.
3: Um, and as you look as an Auburn fan – if you lose in the Final Four, has the season already been, and I think for Texas Tech this would be the case too, and I know the Final Four always feels like a destination point in many ways. Uh, I think Virginia fans would feel like they've been validated in many ways after losing in the first round last year to follow it up with a Final Four trip. What percentage of your enjoyment it disappears if you lose in the Final Four versus the amount of enjoyment you get from making the Final Four?
6: Well, look, you've hit this uh, throughout the week. I mean, we beat Kansas. We beat them pretty good. We beat, you know, we beat North Carolina by 20 points, and we beat Kentucky. I mean, not a lot of teams in the history of basketball can say that. So, I mean, even if we do fall short, it has definitely been a success. And another thing, you know, we get, uh, you know, the tournaments on national TV, everyone's watching these games, and all these high school kids are seeing the way Bruce Pearl's team is playing so open so free so fast and and that's can only be a good thing and as far as recruiting for the future
3: oh I don't think there's any doubt at all so which team are you picking on Wednesday as we head into final four weekend are you going with Auburn or are you riding with somebody else
6: I mean I'm rolling with Auburn and I'm rolling with Michigan State and I think the main reason is the two point guards I think they're the two best point guards obviously left in this tournament with Jared Harper. Jared and uh, Cassius Winston over at Michigan State so I think uh, I think those two guys will will lead their teams and they'll have a great matchup together in the championship game
3: yeah that would be intriguing if we got Bruce Pearl going up against Tom Izzo Izzo would be going for his second title which is rare right I mean the guys with second titles currently coaching in the uh, in the college football college basketball ranks got Jay Wright you got coach K you got Roy Williams um, it is hard, current coaches, that is. Uh, Billy Donovan, obviously, has got a couple, and Jim Calhoun has got a couple. But it is hard to win multiple titles, and there aren't very many guys who have done it. Uh, Danny G., who would you point out and say to you looks like uh, the team that should be favored?
5: Well, for dub's sake, I'm rooting for Auburn. But I'll say this about Virginia. I think one of the best moments out of the entire tournament so far is, has been that buzzer beater from Diakite to send that game against Purdue to overtime, which obviously Virginia went on to win. So it just feels magical for Virginia right now. I think it's going to be a hard out for Auburn. So I'm going to take Virginia, and I also like Texas Tech. I understand Michigan State's guard play and and how great they are all around, but there's something also about Texas Tech. You always talk about their coach. Great coaching, great defense. I think it's going to be a real tough battle between those two squads. Texas Tech will pull it out at the end. So I think the championship game is going to be Virginia and Texas Tech.
3: you got three really good defensive teams. I'm not saying Auburn's not good defensively, but they obviously are a run-and-gun-it style team. Three-point shots, put up as many as you can. Uh, take Take and make a lot of difficult shots at times. Um, and so uh, as you kind of break down that uh, that system in general it's uh, it, it's kind of interesting to see what you're going to see with the clash of two different styles of basketball Virginia Auburn I think that and I'm already bet it I think the under is the play in Texas Tech Michigan State uh, where there are not going to be a lot of points scored period and it's going to be a a rock fight of a game in general when we come back we'll break down final segment of the uh, of the show should uh, the Seahawks be nervous about this Russell Wilson contract demand? He said he wants his contract decided by April fifteenth, before way before uh, the start of the season. He's only got one year left on his deal. We'll talk about that. Is there a uh, is there potential drama brewing in Seattle surrounding Russell Wilson? Uh, all that and more. I am Clay Travis. This is Outkick the coverage on Fox Sports Radio.
2: TireRack.com, the way tire buying should be.
3: Welcome back, Geico Outkick Studios. Limitations may apply with Russell Wilson in the Seattle Seahawks organization. Did you see the report out saying that he wants a new contract by April 15th or what exactly? Not sure, but it's a little bit of an interesting situation. Uh, When Russell Wilson signed a few years ago, he was the second highest-paid quarterback in the NFL. He has since fallen to the 12th highest-paid quarterback in the NFL. There has been a, uh, a lot of reshuffling, obviously, at the top of the quarterback list. He is still relatively young, uh, Russell Wilson is, and he's coming off his best statistical season as a quarterback with the uh, Seahawks last year, notwithstanding the fact they lost in the wild-card game to the Dallas Cowboys. Um, Wilson letting it be known that he wants this deal taken care of before uh, by April 15th so that everything is uh, is is running and in good working order there before he actually has to start uh, preparing aggressively I would say for the season now in theory there's not a lot to worry about over Russell Wilson and the Seahawks except for this Um, it is a little bit wacky that he's gone public with the fact that he wants this deal to be done by April 15th. Just a little bit wonky. Russell Wilson is not a drama guy. So uh, either he doesn't think the Seahawks are being uh, straightforward enough or moving quickly enough, or he's trying to put some fairly substantial pressure on them. Now, the difficulty in general is with the franchise tag in the NFL – even if the Seahawks had this last year of his contract and they hadn't signed an extension beforehand, they could theoretically franchise him like we saw with Kirk Cousins. But most teams don't want to create that level of animus between their uh, their star player and their franchise future, especially when Pete Carroll has made it pretty clear that Russell Wilson is the future of that franchise because he's traded away guys like Michael Bennett, uh, allowed uh, Richard Sherman to be uh, departing as well. It, there was a question there for a while about what was going to happen with the Seahawks defense and uh, some uh, kind of uncertainty about who was the leader of that team. Was it Russell Wilson or was it the Seahawks defense? And so making the decision to allow uh, the, the, the defensive team to be effectively traded away, the Legion of Boom is no more. You went all in with Russell Wilson and... I'm a little bit apprehensive if I'm a Seahawk fan about the fact that Wilson decided to go public and say, I want a new deal by April 15th or what? Or else, Uh, what's he going to do? He doesn't really have a lot of leverage here. Bring in the crew on a scale of one to 10. How nervous would you be about this statement by Russell Wilson?
5: Well, yeah, I was laughing when this all happened yesterday because on Twitter, Damian Woody tweeted, would you give up two number ones for Russell Wilson? Yeah. And then he said, if you're the Raiders, why not put a call into Seattle? Seahawks want to be run first plus defense. Russell Wilson wants a new deal, and I don't know if Gruden is sold on Derek Carr. One of our listeners, Pepe in Vegas, tweeted a reply to him saying, Wilson for Carr and Seth Roberts. Let's go. <laughs> yeah, I'll look. Seth Roberts. Seth, by the way, is a wide receiver who drops a lot of passes. So Pepe obviously uh, with some comedy there, but – a scale of one to ten, I would say a four, just because you're exactly right. He is not the drama type, dude. I think Sierra is the one in the relationship who has, you know, the drama and the the music. You would think the drama in the relationship would come from her, not from Russell. But in this case, why is he going public with this? It doesn't make a whole lot of sense.
3: Yeah, Cowherd's going to talk about this. I saw him tweeting about it that there are rumblings that her career is harder to do from Seattle than it would be in for instance uh. New York and uh, and so there might be some desire by him to get out of Seattle now that would be a hell of a storyline cuz we haven't had a quarterback of the caliber of Russell Wilson really trying to make a move to get out of his his uh, you know hometown not hometown but longtime home uh, for uh, in a situation like this. Now you have Kirk adopted, Cousins.
5: His adopted hometown. Adopted
3: hometown. I feel like he's been there for long enough that uh, when you start there, especially at the quarterback position, it's just rare to see a guy leave who's clearly continuing to be at the top of his game. Um, it's almost unheard of. I mean, Kirk Cousins is really the only easy example. I mean, the only guys to switch teams and win Super Bowls at a high level are Peyton Manning and uh, Drew Brees. Now, you had Nick Foles, who nobody really wanted, who went on to win a Super Bowl. Uh, but I think that was a question of his talent. And both Brees and Manning, when they moved from the Chargers and from the Colts, respectively, had significant injury issues. There was a question whether Drew Brees would ever be able to play quarterback at a high level again after his shoulder injury. And certainly, all the issues that Peyton Manning had, had uh, there was a, a great deal of questions about whether or not he was going to be able to continue playing at a high level when he went to Denver for the first time. So there were uh, a lot of questions surrounding these guys in general. Uh, but man, this is a uh, this is a little bit a little bit of a story that would make me uh, uncomfortable if I were a Seahawks fan that Russell Wilson has decided to go public in any way about his contract negotiations and basically say, hey, team, I want this done by April 15th. Tax day, by the way. I want this done by April 15th. It's just putting them a little bit under the microscope, and it's certainly a topic that would have never come up on this show if Russell Wilson hadn't gone public like he has Uh, because I, I don't think most people are sitting around thinking about his contract necessarily. Now, he's on track to make a $30 million a year contract, I don't think there's any doubt if uh, if Aaron Rodgers has set the overall market like he has. Russell Wilson used to be the second highest paid quarterback in the NFL. Now he's the 12th highest paid. He certainly deserves a raise. I think he's making around $17 million now. But just because of his wife's ambitions, I do think this is a story worth putting a pin in and wondering if there's something else going on behind the scenes here about Russell Wilson going public. Remember, Hemingway used to say that, that writing was like an iceberg. You only saw the top of the iceberg, but there had to be a solid foundation beneath it. What's the foundation here that's breaking through and leading Russell Wilson to demand that the Seahawks get something done by April 15th. Intriguing story to be sure. Go download the podcast thanks to Bruce Pearl, thanks to John Campbell Fun show as always, Wednesday edition of OutKick in the books Podcast, search it out, OutKick or Clay Travis on iTunes. You can download and subscribe. We'll be back with you Thursday Fox Sports Radio Oh, oh,
0: oh O'Reilly.